This podcast is a ministry of Christian Life Center in Berwyn, Illinois. Our goal is to create a real faith for the real world, and we hope this helps you grow. For more information at Christian Life Center, visit us at our website, www.berwynag.org. Thank you. And I want to talk to you today about the way of the prophet. And so, um, you know, uh, Pentecost was a transitional kind of a piece in the growth of the church. The disciples were saved, and then they are filled with the Spirit in Acts chapter 2. And uh, if you think about it, it's unthinkable, really, what the church would be without the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 tells us a lot about walking in the Spirit. And if you just extrapolate backwards what it says, and it was great read, by the way, Romans 8, you know, begins by saying there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And, uh, and then he begins to go through the, what it would be to walk with the Spirit. And if you just go backwards and, and, and think, what would we be if we didn't have the Spirit? We, we would be walking in condemnation. We would have no freedom. We would not be able to focus on the things of God because our mind wouldn't be able to focus on the things of God because the flesh would overwhelm us. We would not be able to minister life and peace to people who need it so desperately, but instead we'd be ministering the words of death if we ministered out of the flesh. Uh, there's, uh, we would be minister, we would be incapable, really, to submit to God. We wouldn't have any ability to do it except by the Holy Spirit. It's the only way we can submit to God. In fact, our mind would be hostile to God if we didn't have the Holy Spirit, the Scripture tells us. In fact, there would be no way to please God because you can't please God no matter how, try, how hard you try in the flesh. You must have the Holy Spirit in your life to please God. That's what it tells us in Romans 8. So thank God for Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came upon the church. What happened when the Spirit came upon the church is God began to, began to activate all those. If you think about the Old Testament, when the Holy Spirit came upon an individual in the Old Testament, it was usually one or two people who were used, being used by their gift and uh, or being uh, gifted by the Holy Spirit to be used for the purpose of glorifying God one way or another. So, uh, and the rest of the congregation, quite frankly, sat around and were bystanders or, or observers. And what happened on the day of Pentecost is that all, God, all the bystanders became players in the game because every single person who is a believer in Jesus has the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost and turned all those believers into uh, players in the game, people who would be able to go out and carry a spirit-filled message of, of grace and gospel to people all around them. It was fulfilling the prophetic word of Joel, we we're told in uh, Acts chapter 2. It says, this is what was uttered by the prophet Joel. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your ooh, Holy Spirit just kind of spoke to me and said, Somebody needs to claim that for their kids right now. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit and they will prophesy. And everywhere they went, they spoke as the oracles of God. And they healed the sick and they even raised the dead. As they went out, the spirit of God moved upon those people and every, to every corner of the earth, in fact, uh, they, they, were, they were empowered by the Spirit. 
Theologian Roger Stronstadt, who's himself a spirit-filled believer, writes this concerning that, that understanding. He writes, Jesus completed his redemptive ministry by giving orders to his disciples by the Holy Spirit about their imminent spirit baptism and empowering. Having ascended to heaven, he then poured out the Spirit upon his disciples on the day of Pentecost. He thereby transferred the anointing and empowering of the Spirit from himself to them, just as the Lord had earlier transferred the Spirit from Moses to the 70 elders, from Saul to David, from Elijah to Elisha. By this act of transferring the Spirit to his disciples, Jesus, the ancient oracle of the prophet, but Jesus, the Spirit-anointed prophet, makes his disciples a community of Spirit-baptized prophets. This fulfills the ancient oracle of the prophet Joel about a future age of restoration and blessing when the entire nation or community of God's people, irrespective of age, gender, or social status, would have the Spirit poured upon them. Thus, on the day of Pentecost, Jesus inaugurated the prophethood of all believers. In other words, all believers would function as prophets. And so if we understand that to be the case, then that makes the church a prophetic community. It doesn't diminish the fact that there are gifts of prophets that are within the church, but it means that every single person here who is a believer in Jesus has a divine assignment. We just sang about it, right? Uh, uh, commission my soul with a fire uncontrollable for this great love to save the lost. That is the empowerment of what we're, what we're declaring today, that we have prophetic uh, a calling on our life. And so whether you bring somebody to church with you or whether you're talking to somebody about their, the spiritual need in their life, you are acting in the, in the realm of a prophet. You are, you are declaring prophetically the word of God to them. And as you're doing that, God speaks through you to people's lives and changes lives around you. How many of you are spoken to by another human and that's how you became a Christian? Raise, raise your hand. Amen. Amen. Raise your hand nice and high. I want to see how many, how many, how many by a machine somewhere? No? No, see, it's always another human being, you know. This drink of water is brought to you by Mission House Cafe, <laughs> who actually gave me this cup of water for free, and a cup of water given in the name of a prophet gets a prophet's blessing. That's what the scripture says, so uh, we're praying a good day for them over there next door. The church is a prophetic community, and so... The words that it speaks are the words of the master. The actions it performs are the actions of the master. The love that it loves with is the love of the master. And so this prophetic spirit of, of Christ is upon his church, on every single believer in his church. So we must work on developing our understanding of ourselves as prophets. You know, sometimes we leave church and we think we're just another human walking out on the road, but the reality of it is, as we leave these doors, we're sent out as a community of prophets to go into the highways and the byways of the world to tell people about Jesus. That's what we're really called to do. It's not the preacher's job. He does it, but it's other people's job as well. We're supposed to be telling people about Jesus. And so um, when we think about it, that's what we're supposed to do. But in order for us to be prophetic, we have to understand the way of a prophet. And so there are three things I want to bring to your attention today. And uh, um, there's many more things that we need to shape our life. But if we're going to be prophetic, 
you know, we have to move from being pathetic to prophetic. You know, that's what we have to do. We have to move ourselves from being uh, people who are not in the least concerned about the world around us to being keenly aware of the lost all around us. Not in a judgmental way, but in a, in a way that reaches out to them with the spirit of love and the spirit of Christ on the inside of us. And so since that's what God designed his, you know, what God didn't design his church to be was one big giant Bible study. This is the sending station. You know, this is like when you pull into the gas station, you pull in so that you can have gas so that you can leave. Nobody says, oh, it's so good to be in a gas station. I'm just going to sit here and eat Twinkies and drink bad coffee, right? Well, maybe Mo drinks a bad coffee. But uh, uh, I always say, it was slow, it was over the plate, I had to swing at it. But, but the idea, we, 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 come to, we come to the purpose of, of God. We come with the purpose of God. We want to be shaped into what he wants to do. We have to adjust our personalities. So we're going to uh, put our personality adjuster on. Can you do that? If you have your Bible, turn with me Galatians chapter 1. And we have a little more time in this service than we did in the first service, so I'm going to go ahead and read this passage of Scripture. And uh, the first thing we have to do, if we're going to be a prophetic community, is we have to be delivered from pleasing man. We have to be delivered from the need to please man. Now, every single person in here, I don't care if you say, I don't care what people think about me. Well, the reason you say that is because you want people to think that you don't care about what people think about you. The reality, if you, if you didn't care what people thought about you, you just wouldn't say anything, right? But the fact that you say, I don't care what people think about me, means you care about what other people think about you. Because we all care about, we all want to be liked, right? If you don't want to be liked, if you're a person who says, I hope everybody doesn't like me, then you're sick and we'll pray for you after the service. <laughs> but the reality of it is, most, I mean, how, how many of us really want to have, how many of you would just feel great if you looked at your Facebook and it said you had zero friends? Yeah, we feel pretty bad about that, right? I mean, not even one friend. Mom, you'd call up your mother. Mom, <laughs> you too? You don't like me either? Paul writes in, uh, in Galatians because he's been accused of being a man pleaser, of saying things that are, that are pleasing to the ears. I mean, not every prophetic word that God gives you makes people feel good. Not every prophetic word that God gives the church is, is comfort, comforting to the world around it. But, what, but Paul's gospel was so much different than the gospel that they were, than the, than the, the religion they were being preached uh, by, by, like in the Jewish people. The Jewish people were preaching uh, that you had to achieve these certain things in order to get salvation. Paul was saying, all you have to do is believe, you know? And so they were saying that he was pleasing men. In Galatians chapter 1, it says, verse, verse 6, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one that we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we have already said, and say now, now, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than that, other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. So Paul says that the accusation is inaccurate. He says, I'm willing to bring a harsh word when a harsh word needs to, needs to be brought. 
He says, and there's people who are trying to get you to believe something different than the, than the gospel of grace that I preach to you. And he said, those people should be eternally condemned forever. And so he, so he, he brings that harsh word. And he says, I'm not trying to please men. I'm trying to please God. And, he, and then he says to us that it's impossible for us to please God and be a man pleaser. If pleasing man is in your heart, you will never be able to please God. But if you de- determine in your heart, I live my life to please God, then, then you may at times ruffle men's feathers. Again, Paul says something about this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Um, he taught me, we won't have to read that, but he says, that he brings the message there that this does not come, that this, uh, this gospel that he brings doesn't come out of uh, impure motives, manipulation, trickery, anything like that, those things are all a part of what it would be if you were, if you were trying to uh, please men. But he says, I'm not trying to please men. He says, I'm trying to get all my accolades from God himself. And that's the key for us. If we're going to live our life without having to be afraid of men, the fear of man, the Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25, that the fear of man is a snare. As long as we're afraid of what other people will think about us, we will not be able to operate in the realm of the Spirit. We will not be able to prophesy to people, and we certainly won't be able to speak prophetically into their life. Because if we speak prophetically into their life and we immediately see um, that, that look on their face that they don't agree or that you've offended them, then immediately we feel that check on the inside of our spirit. Ministry is funny like that. Sometimes you're praying for somebody and you pray something that's a little bit out there. You ever been praying for somebody at the altar maybe or you're praying for a friend and God puts a, a vision of something on the inside of your heart or he speaks to you and you, you go ahead and speak that out and then it kind of, they, the people will give you a deadpan, you know, and you think, oh, I don't know if they liked that when I said that, you know. Uh, I, we could talk about, last week I was asked to minister at another nearby church, so I was, I was preaching at that church, and there's a lady that came up, and she told me she had a medical need, and I won't put her business out there, but she had a medical need, and uh, the Lord told me, you know, she wanted me to pray for, he- for healing, the Jesus make it go away prayer. I always call it the Jesus make it go away. Trust me, as a cancer survivor, I prayed the Jesus make it go away prayer many times, sometimes daily, many times. And, but, but the Lord told me to tell her, you can do this. You've got to do, she had to lose some weight and a few things. I said, you can do this, and this, is, this rests on you. You can, you can do this. You don't need God's help to do this. You just need his strength to do this. Well, that's not what she wanted me to pray. You, know, you could look, see right on her face. That's not. Now I said, I, I understand that's not what you wanted me to pray. I'll pray that God will deliver you from this. But I, the most important thing I just did was give you the word as I was praying over her. You know, so so I, I told her that, and then after, and as I prayed for her, she burst into tears. She goes, "That's really what I needed to hear, because I know there's things I have to do in my life that I have to take control of this." She said, "But you know, I've been asking God to do it for me." And I said, you know, well, that's, look, I'm, I'm a pro. I'm t- telling you for real, you just got to do it. You just got to stay on it and keep, keep after it. You can do it, you know. We'll talk about that in a little bit, a little bit more. But, so sometimes the word of God isn't received by people, but it's still accurate, you know. And so you, you just have to, you have, you have to say, I don't care what this person thinks of me. Now, it's easy for me when I go preach at somebody else's church to, to do that because I'm never going to see her again, right, you know. 
And so it's easy for me to just say stuff like, you're wrong, you know. God says you're in sin. You can say, you know, people who come in, they have more boldness because they know they're not going to sit down and have dinner with them right afterwards, right? But sometimes, sometimes it's hard to bring a word. Sometimes you have to actually, because you honor the person that you're going to give the word to, you have to, have to word, bring the word in a way that's, that's um, accurate, but it's not fearing that person. It's honoring them, but it's not fearing them. And that's not easy because we all want to be liked. And, we don't, and, and then there's the other thing. We don't want to be wrong, right? We want to be accurate when we give the word. So uh, that's a really important thing. Paul says it's not about trickery or manipulation. He says rather, you know, there's a, comes a point in the disciples' lives in, in Acts chapter 5 where they stand up and they say, you, choose, you, you, you tell us what you think we ought to do. Either obey you or obey God. Well, the word is obvious. The, the, the word is really a challenge to them. It really is. They're saying, we just need to obey God. And so that's where it comes down. We have to be willing to obey God and not be, fall into the fear of man's snare that's around us. Because if we fall into the fear of man's snare, then we'll only be people-pleasing. We'll only preach light and fluffy messages and happy thoughts. It'll be chicken soup for your soul. But your soul won't be really dealt with because there's much deeper things that need to be done inside the souls of human beings that only the Word of God can dig out. So we have to get our personality, throw it up on the altar, and say, okay, God, if I'm a part of the prophetic community and I'm supposed to speak prophetically to the people that are in my life, the people that I work with, the people around me, if I'm going to do all that, Lord, then you've got to help me change who I am. Because I don't like to admit it, but I like to be liked. Right? I like to be popular, right? Amen? Boy, why is it so quiet? That one might have been a little close to home there. Huh? Second thing we need to do is we need to be ready to endure the attacks. If you're going to speak prophetically, people are going to come for you. The enemy is going to stir up some stuff against you. Why? Well, because that's just the way he works. Many times somebody has stood up and said, Finally, you know, they break through on Sunday and they say, that's it, I'm living for Jesus, I'm taking a stand, devil watch out. And on Monday they lose their job, and on Tuesday their car won't start, and on Wednesday their bank account won't balance, and then they come in on Wednesday night and they're like, Lord, I promise I'll never say anything like that ever again. And we let that steal our boldness. You have to be bold enough to say, I'm willing to take the heat. Think of it like this. Think of a, if, if a shooter comes in, in into this room and he determines that he's going to kill every one of us. He's got enough bullets to kill every one of us in here. If we all stay seated and orderly, then we'll all be dead. Right? This, this terrorist that's coming in is, is the devil. So, it, it, and if, and if, we all, if we decide we're all going to charge him, but we're going to do it in an orderly fashion one at a time, there's a name for that. That's called target practice. <laughs> right? If I get up and run at him, boom, he shoots me. And then you, somebody else, that's me, my turn. You know, they run, boom. <laughs> the only way to overwhelm the enemy when he comes in after us is for us all to rise up as a community of faith 
and run at him. And there may be some casualties, right? But if we run at that guy all at the same time, it'll be like, it'll be like he'll just be completely overwhelmed and one of us will get on top of him and whip his behind in Jesus' name, right? Right? And it's the same with the devil. If we all rise up at the same time, it will be spiritual whack-a-mole. The devil will not know which mole to whack at which time until finally we overwhelm him and take that hammer away from him and steal away his authority to bang us on the head like whack-a-mole. You know whack-a-mole, right? You know whack-a-mole? They still play whack-a-mole? Dave and Buster's or someplace like that? So, so the idea is we all charge after the enemy. And, and what ha- needs to happen is we have to be ready and willing to be able to go after the enemy when he comes after us, to rise up against him and say, oh no, devil, you can't have my kid. Oh no, devil, you can't have my business. Oh, devil, oh no, devil, you can't take away what is rightfully mine, to co- mine according to the kingdom of God. You're not going to lie to me like that and whisper that filth in my ears. You're not going to... We begin to rise up against them. And so there has to be a determination on the inside that I will have that attitude rather than the scared attitude of the person who runs and hides because things are wrong. We see an example... If we think that can't happen to us, we need to go back and read some portions of the Old Testament. In 1 Kings chapter 19, we read the story of Elijah. He has been conquering... He has been uh, leading, uh, he, he actually had 400 false prophets killed because the God that he prayed to answered by fire. Now, that would be a good weekend of ministry to me. If I, was, if I was preaching and God answered by fire, there is nothing you could say to me over lunch that would ruin my weekend. I would say, yeah, but God answered by fire. But they slaughtered these, these false prophets, so, and, then, and then Jezebel... One woman says, I'm going to get that little Elijah. And suddenly, Elijah has a breakdown. He freaks out. He runs off into the wilderness. He sits down under the broom tree, and he says, it's enough for me, God. I just want to die. Take my life. If we think that we're more spiritual than Elijah, we got another thing thinking. We have to be aware that even spiritually powerful people can get depressed. Nod your head up and down even if you don't agree with me. Will you do that? Just make me think you agree with me. Even spiritually people can get down. Even after major victories in ministry, they can still get down. Because the devil inflates the little things and makes them seem like big things to us. And so if we are listening to the voice of the enemy that then we will, we will quickly be beaten down into, into the depression. So God has, wants us to steal our thinking and to bring our thinking underneath the authority of God's Word. If we do that, the power of the Holy Spirit will work on the inside of us and keep, uh, keep the world at bay. I, I don't know why it is, but the Holy Spirit always brings me this picture when I'm talking about this kind of stuff of a balloon. You know, think of a balloon. What makes the b- balloon round? How does the balloon keep itself in that shape? It's the pressure of the w- stuff on the inside, right? The stuff on the inside is what keeps the pressure from the... Because it left, if there's not enough on the inside, it will get all wilty and saggy and, you know, and then that's nothing. 
right? The pressure on the inside of us, the things that God does on the inside of us, the working of the Holy Spirit on the inside of us is what helps us keep our shape with all the pressure of the world pushing down, the atmospheric pressure of the world pushing down around us. Just think of a balloon. When, you, when you're down, when you're going through difficulty, just think of a balloon. I need more stuff on the inside of me. Well, where does that come from? It comes from prayer. It comes from spending time in the Word, praying with people, having people pray over you, coming to the altar, all those things. You know, All those things help us to be able to do that. So we have to be able to be, able to be ready for the attack that's around us. The third thing we need to change in our personality if we're going to be a prophetic people is we need to be dealing in hope. Um, if you have your Bible, turn with me to Jeremiah 29. I want to show you something that you, you might not quite understand. We, a lot of us understand that, that verse in Jeremiah 29, you know, that very famous verse in Jeremiah 29, but um, we don't always get it, what, what's really being said there. Um, Everything in the world is selling, trying to get us to buy, is negative, fear-based, crisis-oriented, despair, emotionally overwrought, right? And so what we need to bring to the, to the world around us is hope. Hope is what is in every prophetic word in the Old Testament. Even the most judgmental prophetic words in the Old Testament still have some one or two lines of hope in there. And so I use this as an example because it's the one that we recognize and also because it helps us to understand this verse a little bit better. In Jeremiah 29, verse 4, it says, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to, those, uh, to, to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Notice in verse 4, who carried them from exile? Yeah, God did. God did. God says, I, I brought judgment upon your land. This isn't the Babylonians' fault, it's not the Assyrians' fault, it's not your neighbor, it's not your mother, you weren't potty trained too early or whatever. This is not, this is not your psychologist that needs to be, I brought you into this place, he says. I know exactly your address, verse 4. Verse 5, build houses and settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons, give your daughters into marriage so that they do not have, so, so that they, they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in your, your number there and do not decrease. Also pray or seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. So God says, I hear what you're saying when you're praying to me. You're in exile. You've been taken captive because of your sins. He says, and here's what I'm telling you. I'm not going to answer your prayers. I'm not going to answer your prayers. So stop praying. Stop praying to me to be delivered. Instead, build a house, raise a family, have your children have children so your grandchildren will be raised up there. I am not going to answer those prayers because it's already been decreed that you're going to be in, in for 70 years in Babylon, so you're going to fulfill the entirety of the 70 years that you're in there. So you have to be ready to endure. Now listen, listen to this. We could jump down to verse 10. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come for you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. Then you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. 
I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. So that verse that we always quote, you know, as if it was written to us about us, is written to a people that are bound up and they're captured and they're put in exile. And so, uh, God, now God still has good news for them. He says, I have hope for you, but the hope is, doesn't come for 70 years. So here's a group of people who've messed up so many times in their life. They've denied God, fallen away from God. I mean, they messed up. The, in 722, the, the, they, they, they uh, had to be grabbed out of there and brought with the Assyrians, right? And then now it's in 586 that they, that, that they come in and they have to catch them again. And now this time, bring them off to the Babylonian captivity. And for 70 years, they have to be there. Why? The generations that are there in that time have to die off in that captivity. So much so that God says, I want you to seek the peace of Babylon. Forget about Jerusalem. I want you to seek the peace of Babylon, you guys. You got to, you're going to have to adapt to the judgment that you're under, at least for a time. And he said, but don't give up, because when the 70 years are completed, I'll hear your prayers, for I know the plans that I have for you. You see, that's a little different than the way we interpret that when we pull it out of our little love loaf in the middle of our... You have a love loaf, you know, that used to be a big thing, love loaf. Anyway, so the idea, um, the idea is that even in the harshest circumstance, what God is basically saying to them is, look, you're stuck, you're under judgment for 70 years. But God still brings hope to them. In a world where everything in the world is screaming crisis, where the world is running around with its hair on fire, full of fear, and, or there's terrorism uh, 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 things being spoken over us, we have to be the people who breed hope in the world around us. Amen. We have the gospel of hope on the inside of us. And there are things that people are stuck in that they can't change, but God can change it. There are people who are under judgment, but God can get them out of that. God still has a plan and a purpose in their life. And who, how are they going to hear it unless the people of God act prophetically and go out and speak to the world around them with hope? This has to be what, what, what we, every word that we share has to have hope. We see it whenever a prophet comes in, that they, they begin to talk about the things God wants to do. I remember a, the prophetic brother coming in one time, and he stood up here with his microphone, and he pointed out a couple sitting on this side, about where Lori is at right now, and he said, uh, God has a ministry for you too. Now, I'm the pastor. I know some dirt on some of the people in here. I looked over there, and I saw, I knew that those two people were not even, they were married, but they were not even living together at the time because he had some infidelity. And I was like, oh, buddy, you missed that one. You missed that one. And then he started to, to talk about the ministry that he had for them. And as he called the ministry out, there was an anointing on what he was saying, but I couldn't put it together in my head. I'm like, I don't understand what's going on because in the natural, that's never going to happen. Well, those two people are in ministry together. Their marriage has been saved. And all that good stuff happened because of the word of hope that was spoken over that circumstance. See, we need to be people who don't... It's, we're too easy as, the, as believers to react to what we see with our natural eye and, and not reacting to what's there in the Spirit. God has hopeful words for people in those circumstances. And we, we need to practice that. I was... I, was uh, I, need, I need to share this, but I can't share it 
without giving details away, so. I can't share it. No, so, so, uh, um, I'll change the names to protect the innocent and kind of squirrel around some of the things. I, talking to a guy, who's talking about, and I said, hey, we have a mutual acquaintance, and I mentioned a guy, and that, that guy, who's a member of another church, when I mentioned this, this third fellow, who's a mutual acquaintance of ours, he shook his head and he said, as, as if he said to me, there's no hope for that guy's circumstance. And I, in my, there was a righteous indignation on the inside of me that was so offended that a person, a man of God, would not see hope in someone's situation. That's, that's who we're called to be. A community of people who are like that. So all we can do with these three deficits in our personality is go to the Lord. Because we, frankly, are hopelessly living in the fear of men. And we are, quite frankly, we're afraid of spiritual attack. I know we talk a good game when we get all psyched up and we call it faith, but in reality, sometimes it's like people say, people said to me, Pastor, don't say you have cancer. Well, that's what the doctor said. But don't you say it. And I said to one gal, I said, listen, sounds to me like you're more afraid of it than I am. Because you're afraid to say it. You're afraid that whatever stuff is on that word is going to come on you for saying it. Don't tell me that's a mighty warrior. Right? That's a person who's afraid. I'm not afraid of the spiritual text. I'm not welcoming them. I don't want them. But I know they're going to come. Why? That's what we have been called to do. The easiest thing for you to do today is do nothing. This moment and this time is where we have to bring our personality and say, Lord, don't make me lazy. Make me bold. Make me bold enough to say, I'll endure the attacks that are going to come for being a part of the prophetic community. I'll endure the attacks that are going to come after me because I'm speaking a word of hope to people. I'll endure the attacks that come after me because I'm, I'm recognizing what God is doing in, this, in certain circumstances within the body of Christ. And I'm, I, I think we have to get to that place. So that's what this moment is about right now, right here. Let's do that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Can we do that? In Jesus' name, Lord, we submit our personality with weaknesses and with foibles and with problems. Help us not to be uh, caught in the snare of the fear of man. Help us not to be bound up, Lord God, by, by uh, a fear of what other people are going to think about us, Lord. Help us not to be, help us to believe you and have our faith be stronger than our fear of what other people are going to think about us. Give us a word of hope and help us to submit to that so we can become the prophetic community so that all that you have designed the church to be, can be, we can be that, Lord God. Lord, help us not to hinder it with our personal issues. Pray that in Jesus' name. Pray that in Jesus' name. That we would not hinder what you designed the church to be. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.
If you're here this morning and you know that there's something that you've got to deal with in your own life, would you make the place where you are right now your altar? Maybe just lean over, put your head on the back of the pew in front of you and take that into the presence of the Lord. Lord Jesus, Help us today. We surrender our personality. All the times when we tried to do your word, your, your will, and to do the work of your word, and instead, Lord, we knuckled under to the fear of man. To being man pleasers, not God pleasers. Help us, Lord. Take away our fear of the enemy. Help us, Lord, to be willing to endure the attack of the enemy for the sake of the gospel. I think the Lord would have me say, to you, yes, it does have to be that hard sometimes. Some, sometimes we believe that things that are spiritual don't have to be hard. My wife and I When we were first married, we used to argue like two cats in a bag. And one day, I don't remember which one of us said this, but one of us said in exasperation, love shouldn't be this hard. It's an exasperation. Love shouldn't be this hard. And later that day in my prayer time, God said, why not? And he showed me what his love looked like. It was three nails on a cross. If that's how hard his love was, then just trying to get along with the woman that God gave me shouldn't be that hard, right? And when that changed my, my thinking, it gave us both, actually, coping skills to be able to deal with it. And I've almost got her worked into shape now. <laughs> I'm saying that because sometimes to live for the Lord is a trial. Right? But it's a great joy. To go through all the difficulty, you know, as you're pouring out yourself. Right, John? When you minister in that couple and things kind of fell out on that last, you were telling me a week or so, you're ministering that couple and things kind of fell out. It makes you feel like, why would I give my whole self and, and, and pour myself into that couple and then only to have them just fragmented? But you know what? On the ones where it works, right? 
when you see wholeness, when you see marriages restored, when you see uh, uh, addicts become clean, when you see people get out of the gangs, when you see all that stuff, that stuff reminds us of what it is to, to be a Christian. I cannot sit on the answer to that guy's problem. He may work, he may work with me and be, live, and be down the, 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 the hallway from me, but I cannot have the answer for him and not speak to him. I have to be moved. Paul said he was moved by compassion, stirred by the love of Christ to speak into someone's life and to say, listen, there is a God who's got so much better for you than what you're living in. It's very powerful. It's very true. That's the message we have for the world. May God help us to open wide our mouth and speak it with love and compassion. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. We hope you were blessed by it. If there's anything that we can do to help you further your relationship with God, we would love to be a part of it. You can contact us through our website, www.berwinag.org. Thank you, and God bless.